The big question is, how does someone with MS actually improve their mobility, strength, energy, independence, the list goes on. My name is Dr. Gretchen Hawley, physical therapist and multiple sclerosis specialist. Welcome to the Missing Link Podcast. Tune in as I share the top strategies and exercises to help you gain control over your life with MS using research-driven insights and advice from top industry experts. Whether you're newly diagnosed or have had MS for over 30 years, whether you have relapsing MS or progressive MS, this podcast is for you. You're sure to feel empowered and inspired after each episode. Ready? Let's dive in. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I have a special guest with me, Patricia Hawley. Patricia is a registered yoga teacher and has training in multiple sclerosis through the National MS Society. As you may have guessed, Patricia is my mom, and I wanted her to come chat with me today so you could get a sense of a different type of yoga than you might be used to. Patricia's approach to yoga is so refreshing as she focuses on functional yoga movements that are doable for anyone with the goal of improving mobility and function in your day-to-day life. On today's episode, we talk about the difference between functional yoga and traditional yoga, the vagus nerve, and yoga for grief. Patricia, thanks so much for being here with us today. Thanks for having me. Of course. So I've got a lot of questions for you, but before we dive into all of those, I was wondering if I could ask you a question from my interview deck to help our listeners get to know you a bit better. Absolutely. Okay. I'm just going to shuffle. Let's see what (laughs) card you get here. Your question is, what is something you don't mind paying more money for? I do not mind paying more money for really good bread, like locally made, preferably sourdough, lots of big airy holes, super chewy. I will, I will walk miles for a good (laughs) loaf of bread. (laughs) I love that. What a great answer. I'm not sure I would have thought of that. (laughs) All right. And it doesn't break the bank. So. How much is good bread? Well, I would say at least $6 a loaf, Okay, but I pay up to 12. Wow. Yeah. That's not bad because even the local grocery stores here are about $6 for regular bread. Right. Right. And I would not pay, I will not pay $6 for grocery store bread. Oh, (laughs) I'm I'm learning a new side. (laughs) All right. So our first question comes from one of my personal questions, but something that I hear a lot from my Missing Link members as well, which is that we are not flexible, or at least we feel like we're not flexible enough to do yoga. Is that something that you hear often? I hear that all the time. That is the number one response that people will give me, especially as soon as someone finds out that I'm a yoga teacher. They will say, oh, I would love to go to yoga, but I'm not flexible enough. Or I went to a yoga class, but I wasn't flexible enough. (laughs) So yes, it's very common. I hear it all the time. And my response is always the same. You don't have to be flexible to practice yoga. In fact, you may never be flexible enough to practice the type of yoga that you think you should be practicing. And what I mean by that is, There is this trend, especially here in the West, that yoga needs to be like a pretzel. 
you see people on the cover of Yoga Journal or really any magazine that has even an article about yoga, and you will invariably find a thin white woman with their leg behind their shoulder, licking their toes. <laughs> you know, something where you think, oh, no, I could never do that. I'm not going to try. Or I would hurt myself doing that. You probably would. Flexibility is so closely tied to hypermobility. And hypermobility is God-given. You're born with it. If you don't have it, you're not going to have it. You're not going to get it. That said, as you practice yoga, you will become a little bit more able to move into different shapes beyond certain places you may have normally been able to move. It doesn't mean that you're going to ever be able to stand on your head or wrap yourself into some crazy twist. That's not what yoga is about. Yoga is about breath. It's pairing your breath with movement. It is finding some sense of peace at your center and then taking all of that off of your mat, going out into the world and bringing that same sense of grounding, of peace, of equanimity into your daily life. So flexibility is the last thing I worry about. I'd rather that my students leave my classes with a sense of strength. They've gotten stronger. They're a little bit more stable. So stability, mobility. Once they're off the mat, they can move with a little bit more ease in their daily life and as they move out into the world among friends. I love that. That sounds doable for anyone. Yeah, anyone can practice yoga. The trick really is finding the right class because there's so many, there's so many yoga classes out there now, and so many of them are geared to uh, workout fitness. Yeah. And one thing that our listeners probably don't know about you is that you historically have said that you are clumsy and uncoordinated mm -hmm. and didn't really <laughs> like sports, you know, whether it was in school or recreationally. Why did you decide to get into yoga? And did that clumsiness and lack of coordination carry over? Or has this been a different experience for you? <laughs> that is an awesome question. Huh. Let's see. Well, Speaking of someone who has a t-shirt that says picked last in gym class, I can tell you that, yes, I was the unathletic clumsy kid who would breathe a sigh of relief when I was picked last. I would ha have my fingers and toes crossed like, oh my God, don't pick me. <laughs> it will not turn out well for the team. And I stayed away from, yes, all athletics of any kind, any group athletics in particular, because I had so many experiences in my life where I was embarrassed, mortified would be better, <laughs> a better word based on my performance in any athletic realm. But however, that said, I loved the idea of being strong. And so I, even as a kid, I would do individual things. So I would run you know, not on a team, but I would run for just for my own, you know, pleasure. I started running really seriously when I had three children and, you know, one was 16 months old when twins were born and these twins kind of drove me insane. And I had to, I needed a release. And so I decided that I was going to go to every morning before anybody else got up. And I was just going to run around the barn. And I did that for a few months. And then I thought, well, maybe I could run down the road. 
And so I started doing that. And then it just took off from there. And I started running nearly every day, usually about five or six miles before the babies got up. And then it was before the kids went to school. And then it was before I went to work. So I kept this up. And at one point, I started feeling running wasn't doing it for me anymore. All that pounding felt like I just kept compressing my muscles. And I I really wanted to feel like I had a little bit more length, a little bit more grace when I moved. So I started power walking instead, which then seemed to fill that void. But then on a cold and drizzly 38 degree morning, pitch black, I ran up a flight of stairs at the local football field in their stadium. And on the way down, I slipped and I cracked my back and I bounced right up and thought, oh, okay, I'm okay. Nothing, no harm done and finished for some reason, my time there at the track. But then later that day and in the days that followed, all of the muscles kind of on the sides of my low back kind of started to clench and it was necessary for me to take a break. When I finally did start to feel like I could go back to the track, that's not what I wanted to do. I knew inherently that I needed to stretch these muscles or build my muscles up so that if and when injury occurred, I would be able to better respond to it. So I found a yoga class, a really gentle yoga class. And at the end of that class, my back felt better, the best that it had in months. And so I went back and then I went back again. And then I pretty much stopped going to the track and started practicing yoga exclusively. So it was a healing journey for me that brought me there. I always resisted going to a yoga class because I thought that they were too slow They wouldn't challenge me, you know, but when I needed it to be slow and I needed it to be healing and I needed to think about what I needed, not what I wanted, that's what led me to yoga. I feel like that's a powerful realization, Mm -hmm. what you needed versus what you wanted. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't always match. No, no, no. What you want is almost always your ego. You know, Mm -hmm. what you need is it comes from that really deeper place inside you. Yeah. And one thing that I love about your classes and why I wanted you to come speak to my listeners is because you teach in a very different way than most other yoga teachers. And you've already mentioned that there's lots of different types of yoga, but the way that you teach is very functional, which I love because that's the way that I teach as well. Can you explain what functional yoga movements are compared to traditional yoga movements and why that's important? Yes, I teach a form of functional movement, functional yoga. I became certified in this type of yoga from Yoga Detour a few years ago because that's how important it was for me to make sure I was teaching it correctly. I used to teach a traditional vinyasa class and vinyasa is where you link movement with breath through sun salutations or a vinyasa. And I did that for many, many years. And I was known as the teacher that if you wanted to sweat, if you wanted yoga to become a workout, then you would come to my class. However, (laughs) because it came from a place that was, I think, ego-based, like anything else, it's ego-based. The allure did not last long. It wasn't sustainable. And I would see students come in 
and go through the class, but I would not get the sense all the time that what they were leaving with was that feeling that they did something good for their bodies, that they felt empowered, that they felt more peaceful. So I slowly started bringing in functional movements, which would be movements that let's just say you want to do something as easy as easy as child's pose. You know, this is a pose everyone thinks is really basic and one of the first things that you can do and everybody can do child's pose. Well, what you need to do child's pose is you need to be able to have plantar flexion in your ankles, a lot of flexion in your knees and your hips. You need to be able to have this openness in your shoulder girdle in order to you know reach your arms forward. You need to be able to feel that your spine it feels a sense of support in this position, which may require blocks, blankets, uh, bolsters, all sorts of things. So I started working on the different components that would make this pose easier. So let's start with some ankle rolls, for instance. Let's start with some marching, which will help our knees and our hips to be able to move into this space. Let's do a lot of internal and external rotation with our shoulders. Let's prepare all of these parts before we move into child's pose. And so that's how it started for me. And I found that my students enjoyed it and felt empowered. And they suddenly had permission not to be the bendy pretzel-like person on the cover of the magazine. Mm -hmm. All you need is one person to say, you don't have to do it that way and show them how and why, and then other people will follow. So I would say that traditional yoga also has a component of spirituality to it where you are maybe chanting, you know, the class might be infused with some deeper lessons about the yoga sutras or the Bhagavad Gita or something like that. My classes have a veneer, a little bit of a sheen of that component, but not, not as much as you might find in a traditional yoga class. So that would be a difference as well. But in short, I would say that we take several small steps where we build up leading to one pose as opposed to lots and lots of poses. Yeah. And just going right into the pose instead of preparing your mm -hmm, body. Mm -hmm. And as someone who has taken your classes, I can also say that once you do build up to that pose, it's easier and more mm -hmm. doable because you've warmed up mm -hmm. each of the different parts that are required mm -hmm. for that movement. Yep. And what you find, well, what you're supposed to find in these yoga poses is this sense of grounding, this sense of calm, this sense of balance between you know the right side and the left side of your brain. And so when you take all these steps, once you actually reach the pose, it's not only easier physically to get into it, it allows your body and your mind to kind of take it down a notch, breathe, allow the movement to just be you become the movement, the movement becomes you. And then your focus is more of the relaxation versus, mm -hmm. oh, I'm not doing this right. Oh, this hurts. Mm -hmm. I wish I could bend further. Yeah. And that's why you're there anyway, you know, not to feel like I'm not doing this right. Because if that's what's clouding your, your brain during a yoga pose, then the practice has become something else. 
Mm-hmm. I will say though, that I love taking people into the pose initially and to say, tell me how this feels. What are you noticing? How are you feeling? How do your ankles feel? What's your knee doing? Get some information and just remember that. And then we go through all of the steps. We do the pose again at the end of class. Now, how does it feel? And 100% of the time there's this, oh, and I didn't know that I didn't have to bend my knee that far. You know, I I have permission where I don't have to bend my knee at all Mm -hmm. because it hurts or it feels wonky or I just don't like it. Child's pose in particular, it feels usually really tight in the beginning. And by the end, typically people just kind of melt into it. You're making me want to start a class right now. It sounds so lovely. (laughs) (laughs) And hopefully this is sounding familiar to all of my listeners because it's the same idea when you're breaking down a functional movement throughout the day, like walking. As you hopefully know, there's seven different steps to walking and to work on it functionally, you strengthen each of those individual components and then you walk and you Mm -hmm. put it all together. So the way that you teach is very similar. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I have to, I have to say also that you were an inspiration for that. Watching your videos really inspired me to just keep going. Another thing that I think is important for both just your traditional yoga student who's just, you know, they come to a yoga class, they have some average level of function. They've been going to yoga for maybe, you know, five, seven, eight years. And the person who has never been to a yoga class who maybe is interested, but, you know, that curiosity kind of ends with the actual getting in your car and getting there. I like to talk about like the hips where in order to do a forward fold in yoga, and we do a lot of forward folds, every time you do a sun salutation, you're doing a forward fold. It's necessary to be able to have this internal rotation of the hips so that you're not just dragging on your spine to get you down and lift you up. However, for the average person, if you want to get in and out of a car, you need to be able to internally rotate your hips. So anybody can benefit from this. This person who goes to a yoga class once or twice a week, as well as the person who's never been, but just wants to be able to get in and out of their car a little bit more efficiently, they both can benefit from the yoga poses that we do that use internal rotation of the hips. Yeah. And you are our missing link yoga instructor, which I I get such amazing feedback from your classes. The class that the most people reach out to me about that they just absolutely love is your class for grief. Where did that come from? And and why did you decide to do a class on that? Well, I have always been a bit of a melancholy person. (laughs) I think just naturally that way. You know, sad songs, sad movies, sad books. I love it. But the Tops shooting in Buffalo on May 14th, we we hear this all the time, these acts of violence and mass shootings. And when it's anywhere in the world or or anywhere in this country, you know, you feel terrible and you feel enraged and you feel like, well, gosh, you know, those poor people. When it happened so close to home, I just thought this could happen right here in, in our little town, just a few miles away from Buffalo. Like danger and evil was that close that day. And I felt it on a really visceral level. And just a few days later, was the school shooting in Uvalde, Texas. And that involved all those little kids. And there is a certain level of rage. 
It's different when it's children. And there were so many that I just thought I cannot do this anymore. I can't, I can't feel this helplessness any longer. And I thought, well, what, what can I do? And my first thought was I wanted to have a bake sale (laughs) that, you know, I can bake, I can ask my friends to bake and I can get local businesses and bakeries involved. And we'll have this massive bake sale and we'll just donate all the money to some local nonprofit that helps with, you know, gun violence or whatever. But then I thought about like, I don't have time to bake. (laughs) This is not going to happen. And then I thought, well, there must be something else. Like I can donate money to mom's demand or I can start some letter writing campaign to my representative. And I could do all of those things, but what can I do that would make me feel like I was actually contributing? The only thing I could come up with is, well, I could teach a yoga class that might help people who are also struggling, find a sense or a way to release this grief in order to become, I guess, more effective in their communities, because you can't continue to hold such grief. It will become crippling if you don't let it go. So I developed a yoga class where we took really simple movements and we held them for a little bit longer. And we just endeavored to, by releasing muscles, we're releasing energy and we're releasing grief. Yeah. And the beautiful thing about that specific class is that we have grief from so many different things. Mm-hmm. And so that that release can be of whatever you need it to mm-hmm. be that day or that month or that year, since it does change so often mm-hmm. for each individual. And I think that's why it speaks so much to my missing link members is because there can be a lot of grief around having a progressive disease yes. and a sense of loss. And I think that specific class really speaks mm-hmm. to anyone having those feelings. Yes. Grief is almost always has a certain degree of loss attached to it. And it doesn't have to be the loss of the physical loss of a person. It can be the loss of the, of the person you used to be something you used to like to do that is no longer available to you, you know, or even this time of year, the leaves are all falling and you have that sense of loss of another year passing by. You know, it can be as ephemeral as that, as petals in the wind signaling that that season's over. Yeah. So if you are in the missing link, check out that yoga for grief class. You're going to to love it if you haven't done it already. And if you're not in the missing link and you're curious, just send me an email or reach out in some way to let me know. I'll give you all the details. The last thing I want to ask you about is the vagus nerve. I feel like it's kind of a hype word or a hype phrase nowadays. So it's clearly important. Can you explain what it is and why it's important and what we can do about it? The vagus nerve goes in and out of fashion. So I know like maybe 10 years ago, it was all about the vagus nerve. And then, and then it just, you know, you didn't hear about it for years and now it's back in the news again. So I'm not sure why all of a sudden these things happen, but it's, it's like uh, low rise jeans, you know, <laughs> they're here and then they're gone and then they're back again. Anyway, I love the vagus nerve. I love talking about it. It's so interesting to me. And I have given workshops about it. I've talked to groups about it. And I think that it's important to 
understand that the vagus nerve is something that can easily be stimulated on your own through the simple act of breathing. The vagus nerve is one of 12 cranial nerves. It's the 10th cranial nerve, and it starts at your head. It runs through your face, your spine, your neck, your heart, your stomach. It ends in your large intestine, and it has everything to do with these large functions of our body, our heart rate, digestion, sexual function. It, it splinters off throughout your body, which is why it's called the vagus nerve. It's Latin. The vagus uh, is vagar. It means to wander in Latin. And so it's the vagus nerve because it wanders from your head down to your large intestine. And if you've ever heard of something called the brain gut connection, that's your vagus nerve. It's kind of the trajectory. So you get butterflies in your stomach that sends a message to your head like, ooh, this is either exciting or this is scary. 80% of the fibers of the vagus nerve are sensory fibers. So what they do is they, they get communication from your gut and they send that communication to your brain. What we want to do is make sure that the messages they're getting are really good messages because the vagus nerve will take a message like, oh, this is stressful. Look at this traffic. I'm going to be late. Okay. When your vagus nerve is stimulated and toned, it will take that message and it will be able to send the message to your brain. Yes, this is frustrating, but it'll the traffic will move. I'll get there. Realistically, I still have time and wherever I'm going, they'll understand that I was stuck in traffic. So it takes a gnarly sense and can turn it into something that is digestible and sensible. So how do you get that to happen? Does that happen for everyone or do you need to train it to respond in that way? Mm -hmm. You need to be able to train it. And it's really just some simple movement the most accessible way to stimulate your vagus nerve is through your breath. And it is a breath that you do in yoga class. Yoga is exquisitely suited for the vagus nerve because it responds to breath and movement, something that we do all the time in yoga. And the movement occurs wherever the vagus nerve is in your body. So eye movement will stimulate the vagus nerve your breath will stimulate the vagus nerve. It runs through your throat. So moving your neck stimulates the vagus nerve. You know, it runs through your heart and your stomach. Twisting stimulates the vagus nerve. If you wanted to learn the breath that will stimulate the vagus nerve, it's a diaphragmatic breath, also called 360 degree breath or a circular breath. And you can do this breath anywhere, sitting up, standing down, in bed, in traffic. If you're not sure how a diaphragmatic breath is supposed to feel, then it is easiest to do it when you're laying down on a mat. So what I like to do, especially in my yoga classes, is lay down on your belly on a mat or on the floor. It doesn't have to be on a mat, but preferably on a surface that's a little bit firm. So if you don't have a mat on the floor or a bench and breathe into your belly, release your abdominal muscles. This is really, really hard for a lot of people to do, particularly women, because women have been trained to believe that we need to hold our stomach muscles tight. We need to have a flat stomach, a bikini body. We need to look trim. We put on Spanx. <laughs> I mean, and back in the, when my mother did this, this was, it was a girdle, um, but they're Spanx now. Yes. Thank you for that. Um, 
you know, and why do we do that? Because we think that we have to have everything look sucked in. That is not the way our bodies were designed. Our bodies are soft in places. We can let the soft places be soft. So laying on your belly, gravity does its job <laughs> in that you're already kind of facing down, the, the, your, your stomach muscles might be um, pulled down a little bit more anyway. But that is key, release your stomach muscles. And when you think they're released, see if you can release them a little bit more because I guarantee that you can. They'll only go so far because the mat is in the way or the floor or the bench is in the way. So allow that feeling of that pressure of the mat against your belly and see if you can send your breath into your side ribs. So the low ribs get a little bit wider. And then sometimes you'll even be able to feel that breath go into the very low back. That's where you get that 360 degree or circular breath. Once you're able to do that laying down, try doing that same breath sitting up. So that is the best breath for the vagus nerve. There's all sorts of other little manipulations you can do. And maybe we'll do a missing link vagus nerve, just breathing episode on that, which I think would be fun. But it's as simple as that. Try to keep the breath out of your chest. When you breathe into your chest, you're triggering fight or flight. When you breathe lower into your belly, you are activating rest and digest. So that's that parasympathetic nervous system. And that's what we want. I love that. I think this has been so enlightening and everything that you've said so far has sounded doable for anyone, which I think is so great because we started this with me saying, I don't think I'm flexible enough mm -hmm. to be good at yoga or to get into the poses. Yet now I feel like I can't yoga is for anyone. And especially if you are looking to improve specific functions or day-to-day -day movements, or even lessen any signs and symptoms and feelings of grief or overstimulation. So this has been really helpful. Again, if you are in the Missing Link, check out our Missing Link yoga classes from Patricia. And one last thing, how can people find you if they want to learn more from you and maybe do some of your exercises and classes? Well, I do have a uh, weekly Zoom yoga class but I also have a Facebook page. It's called Energy and Function or Energy Plus, Plus Sign Function. And I curate that with my friend, Karen Reisdorf. And you will find little videos, like one to two to three minute videos that focus on functional movement and how it relates to a yoga pose. There's also some energy yoga on there. So Karen focuses more on energy yoga, which is more of like, you know, breath work and pulse points and things like that. But some of the content is very, very simple. Some of it is geared toward if you already have a standing yoga practice and you want to add to it. So it's all over the place, but it's a good place to start and to get information. There's also funny memes from time to time. <laughs> Yes. And I can say from personal experience, I am in that group and truly the videos are just so short that you can just stop and do that movement if you wanted to in that moment or save it mm -hmm. for later. So mm -hmm. very digestible pieces of information. Yes. So it's definitely would recommend that group. I will put the links for the Zoom classes as well as the energy and function Facebook group in the show notes for anyone interested. Thank you so much for sharing all of this amazing information with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was really my pleasure. 
thank you for listening to today's show. I am so grateful to have you as a listener. If you'd like extra resources, such as a video of one of my seated exercise classes, my favorite core exercises, and the opportunity to ask me your questions, head to missinglink.com forward slash insider. That link will be shared in the show notes along with links to my social media handles. If you loved this episode and think a friend or family member with MS would benefit from listening, please go ahead and text or email this podcast to them right now. Sharing this podcast will help me educate and empower as many MS warriors as possible. Thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Missing Link Podcast.